Yeah, that's a story, an amazing story about how one woman sharing her story changes the whole town. Now, let me let those of you watching online know that at the end of this sermon, we're going to uh, share the Lord's Supper. So you might want to take this opportunity to run to the kitchen real fast, uh, grab a cracker, uh, some juice. If you don't have some juice, uh, some water will do. If you don't have a cracker, get something that's kind of like a cracker. Don't get the Oreos, but something, something along those lines so that you can participate with us. We're in this message series entitled Decide or Default. It's based around a very simple idea that you will either decide to develop your soul or that decision will default to someone else. Someone else will begin making your spiritual decisions for you. We've been asking a series of questions all the way through this message series to help us understand. So we've asked questions like, who will I follow? Where will I belong? Will I choose to be healed? Will, will I actually be disciplined? And today we want to go to this question, will I share my story? Will I share my story? Now, you may have never told me your story, but here's what I know about your story. It has ups and downs. And, and the reality is, when you tell your story, when do people lean in? Is it the ups or the downs? You, the, the truth is, the part of your story that is most powerful is the part that's the most vulnerable. People relate to the real. People lean in when you start talking about, hey, <laughs> you know, my first marriage busted up because I was a jerk. Everybody wants to go, really? What kind of jerk were you? And then, and then it will go on, and, they, and, they, and they, will, they will find out you know, where your hope comes from. People will lean in when you talk about your struggles with your kids. People will lean in when you, when you confess, hey, I don't have it all put together. There is power in vulnerability. Now, let me tell you a second thing about your story that's very important for those of you who follow Jesus, and that is somebody told you about Jesus. You may have grown up with parents who talked about Jesus, and that's how you found out about Jesus. It may not have been that case for you, and, and a friend talked to you about Jesus, and it changed your life. Or maybe, maybe uh, one time a friend bribed you and said, hey, if you'll come to church, I will buy you a dinner, a Sunday dinner at Outback. And you said, free steak, I'll sleep through the sermon. So you came, and then... Something spoke to you, and you heard about Jesus, and it began to change your life. Somebody told you the story of Jesus. And so when I put all of these together, we come up with a big idea for the day. You might want to write this down. It's the core of what we're trying to say. Your story will help someone take their next step. Your story, no matter what it is, will help someone take their next step. That's what happens with this woman in the story that we were just, that was just shared with us. Now, a little background. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are going uh, from Jerusalem up to Galilee. They don't take the normal route. They take the shortcut through Samaria. A lot of animosity and hatred between Jews and Samaritans. And when they come to this little Samaritan village called Sychar, uh, the disciples tell Jesus to wait here and the 12 of them are going to go into town and find a McDonald's and get some lunch and bring it back. Now, the difficulty is it takes 12 men to go get lunch. Jesus is there by himself. A woman comes out and says, 
you know, he, he, she comes out to get water. This is not the normal time that women would come out to get water. Women would normally come out first thing in the morning. That's when you need the water. But, but this woman comes at an odd time, and Jesus, in a masterful way, you just read this story, you find out how smart he is. He starts a conversation. You know, he says, uh, would you give me something to drink? And she says, well, well, okay, why are you asking? You're a Jew, I'm Samaritan. And he says, yeah, but I've got living water. And she goes, whoa, what, what are you talking about? They have this conversation back and forth, and then the whole conversation pivots when he says to her, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands, and now you're shacked up with a guy that you're not married to. Shacked up is in the Greek. You'd have to read it. (laughs) And she gets blown away. Now, this is the first thing we need to know about our stories, (laughs) that Jesus knows your story better than you do. Whatever your story is, whatever the high is and whatever the low is, Jesus knows your story better than you do. And so this woman kind of feels a spotlight. She changes the subject, starts to try to talk about religion, (laughs) Bad move on her part. Jesus, again, talks to her, answers her questions, and finally she gets real with Jesus. Finally she gets real. She says, I know that the Messiah, when he comes, will explain everything. She's looking for that one guy who can explain everything about her life. Maybe why she can't seem to get marriage right maybe why she's looking for love in all the wrong places. She wants someone to explain her world to her. Don't we all? Don't you want someone to explain your life to you? Why you do some of the things you do? Don't you want somebody to explain that your life could be different? Go in a different direction? And when the woman says, I know when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything, Jesus says, that's me. That's me. I'm the guy who can explain your life to you. I am the guy who can help you understand what's really going on. Now, just then, the disciples come back, and they've got bags of food, and the woman sees the disciples, and this is where we pick up the story in verse 28. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. I want you to see what this woman does. She does something very simple. She goes to town and she simply shares her story. I met a man. My story has changed from what it was this morning to something different now. I don't even understand all of the change. This man told me everything I had ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Now the woman obviously thinks he is, but I want you to notice how she puts it. She puts it in the form of a question. She's not trying to sell Jesus. She's not trying to sell religion. And the people in the town, they hear her invitation. They drop everything they're doing. They start going to see this guy. Why? Because he knows everything there is to know about this woman, and they like a few juicy details themselves. So they start making their way out. All because this woman said, I met Jesus, and my story changed. Let me ask you a real simple question. 
Will you share your story? Now, maybe you say, well, my story's not that dramatic. I get that. I was eight years old when I professed my faith in Christ, but I'd always believed. I don't have the story of, you know, when I was seven, I was face down in a gutter, drunk, and then when I was eight, I met Jesus. That's not my story. But you know, there's some times in my life where God's really shown up. That's my story. I bet that's your story. Will you share it? Let me give you three concepts that'll help you. Number one is initiate. Initiate, when, when God gives you an opportunity, take advantage of it. Do what Jesus did here. Engage in spiritual conversation. I was on a flight, I'd uh, been away to a conference, coming back, I sat on the plane, I had a book I wanted to read, a book about faith. Guy comes in, oh excuse me, I'm in that seat by the window, okay, I'll get up, he sits down. And, uh, you know, I'm still in the book. And as we start to taxi to the runway, he says, uh, interesting book you're reading. Like, yes, it, it could be. Um, and he said, um, he said, well, it's a book about faith. I said, yeah. He said, he said you know, I'm a person of faith. Said, really? He said, yeah. I said, I, I was an alcoholic. I started drinking in college and then uh, got married. My first marriage busted up because I was an alcoholic. I really messed up my kids. They wouldn't speak to me. And then after, you know, I got divorced, I, I realized I had a problem. I went to AA, and I discovered a higher power that helped me with my addiction, and I call that higher power Jesus, and he's changed my life. I got married again. My relationship with my kids is healing. Um, Jesus really is, he's changed my life. And then he says, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, no, I've been trying to share my faith with a pastor. I said, no, 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 I love this. I lo love hearing about how people meet Jesus. And it's so nice not to be the guy sharing the story. This guy saw the opportunity, and he took it. So that's the first idea. Initiate. And here's the second one. It's framework. Framework. Have you ever asked that guy, you know, that guy, you say, how are you? And he says, I'm not doing too good. It all started in second grade please. <laughs> Let's just bring it up to today, can we? So people ramble with stories. You need a framework. Around here, we use a framework we call three circles. And if you sat down, there was a card in your seat, and I want you to get it out right now. Now, if you don't have a card in your seat, it's because you're sitting on it. Just kind of reach under, find it. Three circles basically tells us the entire gospel in a very simple way. We start with the first circle, which is God's perfect design. God made the world, he made it a perfect place. And you can still see signs of God's goodness in this world. But then human beings defied God, we call that sin, and the world got broken. Anybody wanna argue that the world is broken? And we all got broken with it. Every person you meet, and every time you look in the mirror, you're seeing broken people. So we broke the world. But if we will follow Jesus, if we come to him, we'll get to the third circle, which is Jesus. And Jesus died on a cross to bring the good news that God loves us, that we can be forgiven, and that God will work in us to restore us to his original design. It's a simple framework. 
And then what you have to do is you have to figure out where you are on the framework. And some of you were saying, well, I'm over here in God's perfect design. No, you're in denial. Most of us would have to say, hey, yeah, I know what it means to be broken. I know what it is to have life not work the way it's supposed to work. And some of you would say, well, you know, I don't think I've ever had that gospel moment. I've never had that moment where I actually embraced Jesus, where I actually ever said, I want Jesus to be my savior. I want to encourage you to take that next step today. That's the circle you need to get into. Now, most of us maybe even would say, well, I I think I've done that. And I'm I'm over here. God's working to restore me to his original design, but I'm kind of stuck. Let me tell you one of the reasons you're stuck. Because God's put a next step in front of you, and you're finding it hard to take that next step. And my hunch is part of that next step is sharing your story. Because that's part of your purpose in life. It's what God designed you to do. So have a framework and know where you are on that that journey, what your next step will be. So first is initiate, second is framework. Here's the third, and that is invite. You actually need to invite people to come see Jesus for themselves. That's what this woman does. She does not go back to her village and say, let me enroll in online seminary. Let me figure out all the ins and outs of theology, the Old Testament, the New Testament. All she does is go back and say, come and see. Come and see. I want you to see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? You got to invite people. Come and see Jesus. Uh, Occasionally people will say, somebody invited me to hear you, Clay. Please don't do that. I'm not worth hearing, really. Jesus is worth meeting. Come encourage people to see Jesus. Is there a neighbor, a friend, a family member that you need to invite to come and see Jesus? One of your kids, one of your in-laws, maybe your parents, maybe the guy you work with, maybe the neighbor down the street who really gets on your nerves, maybe a boyfriend, maybe a girlfriend, Maybe somebody you'd like to have to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Do you need to invite them to see Jesus? So here's the basic idea in this whole first section. Will you share your story? Will you initiate, have a framework, and invite? Now, the woman is back in town, and the scene shifts to the disciples coming back. They brought food. And they offer it to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm not hungry. In, in fact, he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What is Jesus talking about here? Real simple idea. It's not complicated. Telling your story energizes you. Telling your story energizes you. Jesus is jazzed. He is pumped. He has seen this woman's story change. She's gone from being a woman who is not successful in life to now saying, Jesus sees me. He knows me. I want to tell other people. And Jesus is jazzed. Telling your story energizes you. Part of God's purpose for your life is for you to tell your story. 
Now, the disciples are so literal. They look at each other and go, somebody else bring him lunch? Look around, see if there's an empty Chick-fil-A bag around somewhere. And Jesus tells them something really profound, one of the most profound things he says in the gospel. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You hear what Jesus is saying? If you have an issue with food, as I do, memorize this verse. It reminds you, never let food get between you and your purpose. Now, this verse also reminds us that God has a very clear will for your life, a clear purpose. And people get all tangled up in what they think God wants, wants this or that. Let me tell you what God wants. He actually shared it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter wrote this, and it's a, it, it kind of shows us God's will. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to waste their life. That's what it means to perish. God wants everybody to repent. This is huge. This is huge. This means that no gathering of his believers can ever say, we're big enough. Because God doesn't want anybody to miss out on life. He wants everybody to have that third circle, that gospel encounter, that life-changing experience with Jesus. And Jesus elaborates on this. He says in verse 35, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. Jesus says, stop waiting. Stop harvest, start harvesting. A theologian in the 1800s went to the land of Palestine um, and the agricultural practices in Palestine had really not changed for thousands of years. And he was up on a mountain, as the sun came up, he was praying and meditating, and he saw, coming out of the village, people, they were dressed in white to reflect the sun, and they started moving out into the fields. The phrase, the fields are white for harvest, has nothing to do with the grain, it has everything to do with the people. So the first thing that we talked about is, will you share your story here in this second part of the story? This second scene, we have to ask, will you see what Jesus sees? Will you see what Jesus sees? Jesus sees opportunity. Now, I, I wanna pause and really talk to the church body here at Alice Drive. And if you're watching online, I really hope you'll, you'll stay tuned in. Uh, those of you online who are part of the body and those of you who are in the room part of the body, this is real important. Our mission is to help as many people as possible take their next step toward Jesus Christ. Our mission is not to be a big church. Our mission is not to try to impress people. Our mission is not just to make sure that all our members are well cared for. Our mission is to help as many people as possible take their next step because the fields are white unto harvest. How white are they? Now, by the way, when I'm talking about white here, I'm using the biblical metaphor, has nothing to do with race. Everybody got that? Just wanna make sure you know. 
Well, there's about 108,000 people in Sumter County, and according to the best research we have access to, 70,000 of them are lost or unchurched. They do not have a church home. They do not have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. They've never had that. 70,000 people. In Clarendon County, it's 23,000. In Lee County, 11,000 out of a population of 16,000 are unchurched or lost. Folks, we live on the mission field today. Mission field is not overseas, it's outside your front door. And frankly, you don't have to look real far to understand that. Read the paper. Let me explain, the paper is this thing that used to come to your house. We think about online. You already heard Todd say, uh, we're reaching people from Sumter to South Africa. That blows my mind. Of all the preachers that you could listen to, people are actually tuning in and watching us. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, some of you are saying, that's, that's a miracle. I know. <laughs> See, this is why we launch campuses. This is why we're committed to being uh, a congregation, not just of a couple of campuses, but of, of really thousands of locations, online, physical locations, because we want to help people know the grace of Jesus Christ. I love what Craig Rochelle, a pastor in uh, Oklahoma said. He says, we will do everything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. I, I want that to be us. We'll do everything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Okay, this would be a great place for you to say amen. So we're gonna try it one more time. We will do everything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Amen. Good. You get it. You know what that means? That means we're going to have to be uncomfortable. Because, you know, everybody who comes in the door who doesn't know Jesus is broken. And, and they're going to bring their brokenness into church, and we have to love them where they are so they can meet Jesus. I, I, let me tell you something about broken people they're broken. And when they come in the door, we don't have to stomp on their toes to help them be more broken. From time to time, people will say to me, I just wish you'd really get on our toes. I wish, I wish you'd get on those sinners who don't know Jesus and just stomp on their feet. Well, they're already limping in. That's why we need to be a place of grace. We will love messy people all the way to Jesus. Because we need to trust God working in their lives is greater than us working on them. And so, I think God's gonna open up some opportunities for us. He already is. Opportunities to be generous, opportunities to share our faith, opportunities to open campuses. Let me tell you a scary statistic. It's estimated by people who study these things that in the next five to 10 years, 30% of the churches in North America will close their doors forever. 30%. We may have the opportunity to come alongside some of those churches and help them. Help them get healthy, help them survive. But it means we must have a passion to see what Jesus sees. Jesus isn't done. He goes on and he says in verse 36, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. 
Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus is using a lot of farm language here, basically telling us a simple truth. Some people scatter the seed, and some people harvest the crop. They're not always the same people, and that's okay. It's not about who gets the credit. It's about God at work. About 20 years ago, uh, this guy came to our church and he had really messed up his life, separated from his wife, uh, done some really bad things, just broken. We began to talk with him. He found Jesus. He and his wife came to marriage counseling. I did some counseling with them. Um, and and they, got, they got healthy. Jesus was changing their lives. He moved back in. Things were going really well. Uh, he and his wife, his kids, they were showing up at church. They were getting involved in groups. They were doing things to reconstruct their soul. And then I missed him for a couple of Sundays. And so I, I called him up. I said, hey, you okay? I missed you a couple of Sundays. He said, oh, Clay, I'm so glad you called. We have found the best church the music is incredible. This is the best preacher I've ever heard. And, and this is the place for us. And, and we're going to join that church next Sunday, and I knew you would be excited for us. Yes. <laughs> I'm very excited for you. And then just right then, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, 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 it's not about you. <laughs> it's about me. Clay, you got to sow. The other church gets to harvest. Trust me, I'll send you some other people to harvest. Yeah, but God, I put a lot of time into that guy. It's not about you. It's about me. So I want to I say this real clearly. Our competition is never with another church. Never. Never. You, you realize if every church in Sumter County doubled double their Easter attendance, there still would be 60,000 lost and unchurched people in the county. If you put all of the three counties together, about 100,000 people lost and unchurched. If we all doubled. We want every church to succeed. We want every church to grow. We want every church to be healthy. Corey Gant, who is our high school minister, uh, shared this with me. He said he had a college professor who said, if we share the good news, we're 100% successful. I love that. Our job is to go share. Now, first part of the story, will you share your story? Second part of the story, will you see what Jesus sees? Now we come to the last part of the story, and the sh scene shifts back to the Samaritans coming out of the village. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. You see, this is like a two-step thing. Some of them believed just because the woman said, come and see. But others went and they saw Jesus, and they believed because they met Jesus. When you tell your story and it's real, people lean in. And then they want to meet Jesus. And John, who was an eyewitness to all of this, said, many more became believers. 
This woman shared her story and it changed the town. It took a risk. She had to be vulnerable. She had to go before all those people who'd probably gossiped about her for years and said, I met a guy who told me everything I ever did. I think he's the Messiah. You want to come and see? And then the people, this is real interesting. At the end, they say, we no longer believe just because of what you said, apparently talking to the woman. We now have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Oh, this is so huge. Two big truths out of this. The first is they had to believe for themselves. Have you ever wanted to believe for somebody? Have you ever wanted so bad for somebody to make the connection with Jesus? It's not your job. You can't take somebody's next step for them. I know some of you wish you could. Some of you right now are punching somebody saying, I want to take your next step for you. You can't. You can't. Everybody is responsible for their own spiritual life, their own spiritual development. What you can do is share your story. But there's something else real important. And to understand it, you need to understand that in Jesus' day, religion was tribal, it was local. So people thought in terms of, well, I am a Samaritan, so I have to worship a Samaritan God. Do you hear the leap these people make? They go, wait, wait a minute. The Messiah isn't just for Jews. The Messiah isn't just for Samaritans. Hey, the Messiah is for everybody. When I was little in church, we used to sing this song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children. You remember this song? Yeah. You know what that song really teaches us that's true, that's found right here? Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus loves you. And he loves the factory worker in China. He loves the actress in Bollywood. He loves the economist in London the hunter on the banks of the Amazon and the guy who lives down the street from you. Jesus does not love one nation, one color, one race more than he loves another. He loves us all. He's the savior of the world. So I want to leave you with a couple of questions before we go to the Lord's Supper. And the first question is, What does God want your story to be? What does God want your story to be? And some of you would probably say, well, Clay, I don't think I have a story yet. I don't think I've met Jesus yet. Well, today would be a really good day to do that. To actually say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I'm going to follow Jesus We call it getting saved. We call it following Christ, accepting him as Savior and Lord. It basically means you're going to do life with Jesus from here on. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're going to do life with Jesus. Maybe you say, well, I've done that, but Clay, what what does God want my story to be? I don't know all of the particulars, but I guarantee you God wants you to share your story with someone because your story will change someone's life. It will help someone take their next step. Now here's the second question. If God gives you the chance this week, will you share your story? If you're at work and somebody says, my life 
sucks. Well, you say, I get that. Jesus makes my life better. You say, people will think I'm a religious freak. People already think you're a freak. (laughs) Just help them know why. If you get a chance with a family member, will you say, hey, Jesus made a difference in my life. If you're sitting on an airplane and a guy sits down next to you and asks you, what are you reading? Will you take a chance? Now, you may be asking, what does the Lord's Supper have to do with this? Everything. You remember when Jesus took the cup? When he took the bread, he said to them, do this in remembrance of me. You know what he's asking them to do? He's saying, I want you to remember my story. I want you to remember how I, the Son of God, came to earth because I loved you, and I let my life be sacrificed so your sins could be forgiven so that you could be restored to God's original design. I I want you to remember my story and how it changed your story. And that's why we're doing the Lord's Supper today. So if you're watching online, get that cracker, get that juice or that water. If you're in the room, uh, we gave you one of these little cups. Uh, I'm calling them COVID cups because they help everybody feel a little safer. Would you just get that? If you don't have one, raise your hand. We've got a couple of deacons who will give you, get you one. And go ahead, those of you who have them, peel off that top little um, seal where the bread is. Don't, don't pull the bottom one where the juice is. Pull the top one. And get out that little piece of bread. And I want you just to think with me for a minute that your story could be so different that our Heavenly Father could have said, I'm not going to send my son for you people. I'm, I, you know, you people messed up, you're on your own. But our Heavenly Father didn't. He said, I love you so much, I will send my one and only son for you. And it changed your story. And it can change your story even more. So Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, as often as you eat of this, do in remembrance of me. Remember Jesus' story, how he changed your story and take and eat. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. So if you will, get this little cup and put the juice up, peel that little paper off. As you hold it, I want you just to think about what it, what it represents. It represents the blood of Jesus that powerful blood to wash away all the sin of the world, that powerful blood to make you clean, that powerful blood to change your story. I think it makes us all say thanks. But then I think it makes us all think about who needs that to be their story. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, he poured wine, he He gave it to his disciples and he said to them, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Remember and take and drink. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Jesus. 
and how he changes our story. And I know, Father, there's probably someone watching online, someone in this room, and they have not yet invited Jesus to be their Savior or Lord. I pray that today something will click and connect, and they will want to do that. I pray, Father, for those of us who have named Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you will help us share the story of how you changed our lives. Thank you. Thank you for being the God who is willing to enter into our story and make it different. And I give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.